Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks for listening. My next guest is Becky Schnexer. Becky first joined the teaching world in 2006 as a fifth grade inclusion classroom teacher. She's always believed that authentic experiences yield the best and most effective learning opportunities. After all, we've learned to walk and talk just by trying. We've often failed, but eventually we learn those valuable skills and haven't forgotten the long way. Becky believes in um, students having a mindset uh, for a foundation about how they approach learning every day. She's passionate about experiential learning, especially in the style of expeditions. Um, That's why she's taught the way she teaches. And she also has written the book, Expedition Science, Empowering Learners Through Exploration, which we'll talk about in the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Becky. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's so exciting to have this conversation with you. Yeah, so I'd really like to dive into um, just some of your passions and uh, how you've um, kind of taken uh, science exploration outside of the classroom. But we'll start off with uh, what, what I ask everybody at the beginning. Uh, tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out. Yeah, oh my gosh. So way back, I'd say 2017. I had been teaching for what 11 years by that time. And I found myself at um, probably the second most important turning point in my teaching career. I, uh, to date at that time, I had taught uh, six years in fifth grade inclusion that you you spoke about before in public schools. Um, and I had spent five years in an independent school teaching science to pre-K to fifth graders and uh, writing curriculum for science. I was actually doing math coaching at my school as well. And I felt like all my experience, all the things that I had done in my career was setting me up to be an instructional coach. And that position became available at my school. And I wanted to to do it. It it looked like the stars were aligning. This was my moment. I Mm -hmm. interviewed for it. I felt really great. And I, I just felt like, man, this is, uh, this is it. This is great. I'm going to be an instructional coach. I'm going to help people, you know, teach all subjects, not just science, not just math, um, not just science and math, but, but everything. And unfortunately I did not, I was not offered that role mm-hmm. and that, uh, it crushed me. It put me down in the trench, down at the bottom, mm-hmm. just not really understanding what happened and, and why, my career did not lead up into to this bright spot. But in that trench, in, in the bottom of that trench, that disappointment, that uh, career crushing blow at that point, I realized that's what that's what motivated me to look at teaching even more different than I had up until that moment. I was teaching through experiences. I was teaching through real life application, but um, something something spoke to me in that crushing moment that said, you need to learn more. You need to do something different. Something else is out there that you just haven't found yet. Mm -hmm. And in that journey, in that searching, I found the National Geographic Education Platform. And at the time they had a teacher certification program. And I saw that and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go into this. And Mm -hmm. little did I know going into that program was going to open so many doors for me. Every single one of my expeditions 
was a direct result from that program. So that crushing blow, that trench that I found myself mm-hmm. in, in 2017, really allowed me to transform. It, it put me in a cocoon, so to speak, yeah. and a metamorphosis happened mm-hmm. at that point. And so through that development, I then um, started looking into field science as professional development opportunities. And I wrote a grant to go out into the field, into the Peruvian Amazon to, as an elementary teacher, send me to the Amazon so that I can become a better scientist, become a better teacher, and then bring that to the youngest of learners. Mm-hmm. And I got that grant. And then shortly after that, I uh, was accepted into a fellowship that sent me to the Galapagos with National mm-hmm. Geographic and Limblad Expeditions. And from there, it just, all of these pieces came together. So the Expedition Schnexer, the Becky Schnexer you know today, mm-hmm. the book that you've heard about, that all was a result of that trench and me clawing mm-hmm. my way out, just trying to find what that trench meant for me and how it was going to actually help me along the way. So I know that that's like a long story, a very long-winded recap, but that was, I think that's the biggest trench that I've had to pull myself out of in my entire career. And, and it's made the biggest difference in who I am as an educator. So that trench was, uh, it was definitely worth it. It's, it was not great at the time. It felt Mm -hmm. pretty terrible, but the end result was, was true transformation. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. So talk to me a little bit about how that led to you writing your book, Expedition Science, Empowering Learners Through Exploration. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So this book is is the culmination and it's still a work in progress. It's not it's never ended. Sure, it's been printed and you can have your copy. But this expedition, the science expedition that I'm on and many people Mm -hmm. are on has it's it's still going even to mm-hmm. today but um that the book is really it's a combination of all my experiences and things that i have found have worked in the classroom um every single chapter it started as a blog actually adam welcome if mm-hmm. you've ever heard of him and if you haven't you need to google that man right now he's amazing i had connected with him and started a blog to talk mm-hmm. about the things that I do in education, the experiences I plan, not lesson plans, but experiences that I plan for learners. And so he encouraged me to just start writing a blog, just Mm -hmm. document it, share it with people and see what they say, see how they respond. And um, people responded well, they, they liked to read it. They were using Mm -hmm. the ideas or they were saying, Hey, oh my gosh, that's great. How could I possibly do this in my classroom? And then I just started talking back and forth and kind of mentoring people online, which Mm -hmm. was great. And Twitter was great for that. But this blog ended up being chapters of the book. So it eventually came together in this, I like to call it a work of heart, because it truly is. These are stories from my classroom. They're stories from the field. Some of the chapters open and you're in the middle of the Amazon with me uh, doing some field science. And then you'll see how that matriculates into classroom activities and explorations that you can do even with kindergartners or Mm -hmm. all the way up to college level. So the book is about using exploration as a tool. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. not explicitly teaching topics, which sometimes that's, that's necessary and that's important, but it's not always things like, um, understanding how rocks are made. Mm -hmm. It's, you can read about that. Yes. We can look at pictures. We can, we can do these things. We can listen to someone talk about it, or we could make our own rocks and we could use sediment and put them together. So that's really what the book calls you to do. It gives you examples of, wow, what if you shifted this activity in this way 
and you made it more interactive or you made it immersive, not just passive learning with, with your students. So all the examples revolve around science because mm -hmm. that's where I've spent a lot of my career. But there are nuggets of information that you can use in math, in science, in mm -hmm. language in language, in history, in physical um, activities, in, in art, all of these pieces can come together. These little, um, these little bones, right? It's like a skeleton. Yeah. These bones can be used in any classroom. You just put the meat into it, or you modify yeah. it to fit your learners. So that's really what it's what it's about. Um, yeah. Yeah, it seems like a lot of um, just uh, things from what you've learned and how others can use uh, just expeditionary, um, you know, concepts in their classroom, um, maybe without necessarily going on expedition, but um, really talking about how, um, like you said, making the things instead of just studying it. So um, you also give a lot of PD both to teachers and also student talks. Um, tell me a little bit about um, maybe some of the topics that you uh, give to uh, schools. Yeah, yeah. So I I regularly connect with teachers about um, creating, and it doesn't matter the subject. It's usually, uh, of course, people hear hear my name or they see my work and like, oh, she's science. And yes, yeah. she is. But good teaching is across all subjects. And mm -hmm. so one of the things I love to present about, and I'm asked to present frequently, is um, it's an experience, not a lesson. Okay. And where I was talking a little bit about this earlier, I don't write lesson plans. Yeah. I write experiences. So I tap into senses. So when you experience something that you remember so vividly, you can remember what you felt like. You can remember mm -hmm. the weather, the smells, the what you heard. You can um, you remember just, just every little component about it, who was there, what colors you saw, all of these things. And so when you're crafting what you're going to be teaching, when you're crafting experiences for your learners, you have to think about like, how can I make this one real mm -hmm. and how have them experience it in different ways uh, and with all of all of your different senses, whether you're smelling something and seeing it, you're hearing it, or maybe we blindfold you so you can just hear something, or maybe we blindfold you first and then we unveil something and we allow you to discover and immerse yourself into that experience. So that professional development is pretty popular, just mm -hmm. how to shift your thinking to experience-based, not lesson or standard-based, yeah. which I some people are going to hear that and like, oh, how dare she say not standards based? Well, it is based in standards, but that's not the main part of what mm -hmm. I want to get across. I want that experience that hits those standards. So I think okay. about it just in a different way. Um, and I also, so uh, outdoor education is a big one that I've been talking about recently, just how to teach outdoors, mm -hmm. no matter the subject, no matter geographic space that you're in, no matter the age of your learners but that's one that I talk about frequently. It's a passion of mine. I love being outside. You can always tell if I've spent a lot of time inside there, there's a huge difference in how I communicate and how I carry myself. So being outside is super important to me. And so when I, um, when I teach outside, it's very, very different. And that's not always natural for everyone, or people might be interested in like, Oh, I, of course, I'd love to teach about plants mm -hmm. outside where the plants grow, but yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about, or I don't know, what do I do? How do I make sure I don't lose a kid? How do I make sure, you know, all of these things. So I talk a lot about um, basics of just how do you plan to, 
plan for learning in the outdoors, which is always exciting, um, especially for people who want to teach outside. And they're like, but my school doesn't have an outdoor classroom. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, mine never did either. <laughs> but yeah. this is made it work. It would be great to have a dedicated outdoor space, but that's a human made thing. If you're taking, if you're really taking advantage of nature, you don't need these man-made things, these structures, you take advantage of what already exists. So that's, that's always fun to talk about Um, with students. It's usually about when I'm speaking with students or I'm asked to come and and speak to a younger audience, it's generally about uh, following your passions. And Mm -hmm. I call it relentlessly pursuing your passions. Um, And oftentimes it's to groups of young girls or women, even women, I'm 40, (laughs) which I'm super excited. I just turned 40 actually. Um, or, you know, a, adult groups of women, but a lot of times I'm asked to speak about what does it mean to be a woman in science? What does it mean to be a woman as a leader in mm-hmm. the world around you? So those are often topics that they're very fun because I get to share a lot of my own story, but they're also, uh, I didn't realize how important they are to share to other groups. I didn't, um, that was an unanticipated thing that I've learned in my journey is that my, my story, everyone's story is unique. Mm-hmm. And, um, especially being a woman in science and a woman in a STEM career, yeah. It, yeah. it it can be a, an important one to share with other people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, if people are connected with the teach betters, um, team, um, you're on the speakers network, um, and would that be a good way um, to, uh, if the school wanted to bring you in for PD or um, would they contact you directly? What's the best way in terms of uh, booking you for PD? Yeah, either way. I think it makes um, it makes logistics easier if you work through the Teach Better team okay. because they it's kind of a, a whole package deal. They'll connect you to me and then they'll get all the logistics figured out and I will magically show up sure. <laughs> at your event or your you can, of course, you can reach out directly to me. I'm on um, Instagram and Twitter, even on Facebook as well. And my handle is just my last name. It's Schnexer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good, good. Um, I also wanted to talk to you about a role that you um, have stepped into recently about um, managing the education department at a local museum. So talk to me about how different that is than being in a public school. <laughs> Oh gosh, yeah, it's um it's very similar but there are there are definitely mm-hmm. things that are slightly different. So I in December of 2022, mm-hmm. I I finished half of a school year and then I I left my school to start a PhD program, mm-hmm. which I've always wanted to do. And I'm I'm studying environmental science and sustainability education, which takes all the field work that I do and my education experience, and it puts them together in a PhD program. But I knew in order to do that, there's no way I could be a classroom teacher anymore. I still want to, I'm still a teacher, my gosh, like in my, (laughs) every cell in my body, I am an educator. And so when I stepped out of the classroom to start the PhD, I, I then stepped into a different role as the manager of education at a local maritime discovery center called Nauticus. And so in in being in this slightly different role in education, there's still this aspect of building an experience that you can only build at a museum, at a zoo, at a botanical center, Mm -hmm. or you have the freedom and ability to create 
experiences for schools and for groups and organizations that you might not have in the school uh, setting, in a traditional school setting. So that's been the most exciting part is just being based in a museum and just saying, oh my gosh, what is the absolute coolest thing that I can build for AP environmental science students? Mm -hmm. Or what's the absolute coolest thing I could create for um, middle school math class? Mm -hmm. And they can Mm -hmm. come and visit, or I can go to their school site and create this experience for Mm -hmm. them. Um, Even do like room transformations. I know a lot of teachers want to do that and it's, they're not easy to do. Yeah. So at a museum though, we can, we have the ability to do that. You just have to, those museum educators just have to create that. They have to have the motivation. And so that's where I felt like, oh my gosh, all these amazing ideas that I've had that I haven't used yet. Ah, I could do them right here in the museum. And so it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's different but it's the same. And now I don't have to assess formally for report cards. I don't have to do high stakes testing. So some of those pressures are not there. I do get observed. I still, you know, I have a supervisor that's watching what I do. I do have to cater these experiences to state standards because that's important. That's the, that's the education world. So, um, it's still, you know, it's very much, it's very, very similar. I just feel like I get to dream and implement more of my dreams now that I'm in in an informal setting rather than a, a traditional classroom setting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds like um, sort of a dream job, but it's also part of uh, your research as well yeah. uh, for yes. your PhD. Like yeah. you said, um, your uh, PhD is in... Um, What was the exact uh, field that you are doing? Sustainability and environmental. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Science. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then your goal would be then a professor for teacher prep. Yes, yes. My my dream, oh my gosh, would be to be a professor that works with um, pre-service teachers and ideally in like a science methods course or, you know, the, the last professor they have before they step into a classroom on their own and just to continue that momentum of excitement and show them like, here are the possibilities. I know that my school, I, ideally, I would go back to the school I went to, my university, Longwood, and, and be a professor there. I would love to do that. It would be a full circle, incredible moment. But, uh, and as amazing as that teacher preparation program is like Longwood teachers are well sought after in the state of Virginia and they, the program's amazing, but I feel like I would love to be a part of that program. And I'd love to be the person who hypes teachers up and shows them possibilities. And then, you know, shakes up the jar and sends it out to the classroom to weave some magic into wherever they are. Yeah, and that's a great goal to have to go back to your alma mater to prep those teachers uh, where you got prepped. So uh, I did want to talk about your experience. You're going to uh, Antarctica. As we record, it's before the experience, but as this comes out, it'll be afterwards. But talk to me about your plans for the trip, how you got connected with the um, group who are going. And an important thing is it is an all-woman expedition. 
Yes. Oh my gosh. Like there's so much, there's so much to unpack in this experience so far and, and so much more is going to come out of it. I know. So the program, it's a fellowship for women in STEM careers and, and we spell STEM with an extra M at the end. So it's science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and medicine. So it's, it's a, um, a competitive fellowship that you apply for and you must be a woman in a STEM career anywhere around the world. And those who are accepted go through a year-long leadership course where we study together online. We're connected to um, a counselor who talks to us. We do lots of testing and, and psychological work to see what our strengths are, what our blind spots are, um, what, what are areas that we need to modify in our own personalities or our own leadership styles to become even more effective at communicating, at uh, building visibility for other women in STEM careers or, or young women who are looking up and seeing what are the possibilities. So we go through this whole year of intense work in studying and, and talking to these other women, talking to the women who have been on the expedition before us. And then after that year-long process, if you, if you complete it and you fulfill all the requirements, then the culminating activity is an expedition together to Antarctica. And it's all women, uh, we call it a symposium at sea. Mm -hmm. And so soon I'll be there, I'll be in this symposium at sea where we continue this development, this leadership strategy. We get to meet in person, all these women that we've met virtually in the last year. And we get to strategize together on projects that we're already doing in our own silos back home, but also to build visibility of who we are as women in STEM careers, uh, where women should be in leadership roles and, and could be in the future. So it's a lot of strategizing. And while we're at sea, we also will make landings to the continent of Antarctica to see firsthand what is happening to this vulnerable ecosystem. So I, it all is revolving around the fragility and um, just the balance of ecosystems and the imbalance that is happening as direct result of global climate change. And how can we, as women in STEM careers, how can we mobilize action, um, environmental action, but also mobilize as women in leadership roles? So it's, it's a lot and I'm hoping in, in the observations that I make in Antarctica, of course, we're going to see penguins, right? That's that's a given. Uh, I'm hoping to see lots of wildlife. There's petrels, which are some raptor-type birds that are in Antarctica. There's terns, leopard seals, although I don't want to see them eat penguins. <laughs> I know it's part of the circle of life. I don't want to necessarily see that, but I'm sure I will. I'd love to see leopard seals and orcas. So all of that wildlife. Um, I'm also hoping to, to interact with scientists that are stationed there because there's lots of different stations in Antarctica from different countries around the world. And it would, it'd be wonderful to see who is there, what are they doing and what are they studying? So I can bring that back. Anytime I go on an expedition, my eyes, my senses are there to take everything in and find ways to make that accessible to students of all ages. But primarily, I, I love thinking about elementary education because they they don't have access to the labs that you see in middle and high school. And oftentimes, if you don't experience science in an engaging way at a young age, 
you get turned off from it so early. You could not care less about the labs that are happening in middle and high school and, and college level. Um, I know that was, I've always been interested in science, but there were so many experiences. This is why this expedition with all women is even more personal for me. At a young age, I knew I loved science and I, I, I was endlessly curious and I still am, but I was discouraged at a very young age, third grade, eight years old, I was discouraged from seeking science and math um, for two reasons. One, I was not proficient on the due date for your multiplication <laughs> facts in third grade. I did not, my eights and my sixes multiplication facts, I was not quick with them. And I failed the test the first time that it was given. So I, at that time, was deemed by the third grade teachers as not good at math. And so they had told me at eight years old, you're not good at math, so you're never going to be good at science either. So how about find something else that you want to do with your life? And to an eight-year-old who looks up to adults and is like, oh my gosh, your word is is the, is the is gold, right? I'm going to take what you have to say with, with all of this emphasis. And I did. And I was like, oh, well, I think science is cool, but it's not for me. I was told that at a very young age. And then just growing, growing up with so many, um, so many of those negative thoughts, I was just discouraged. I, I was not given opportunities to pursue science and math. And so I, I knew I liked it. I enjoyed labs. I was great at it. My professors in college asked me why I wasn't majoring in science and why I wasn't going to go into that field. And I was like, oh, but I'm not good at it. <laughs> you know, like I just been told for so long that that's not the place for me. So I so I didn't pursue it until I was an adult and something switched in my brain. It was it was that trench. I was like, man, but you do love science. Why aren't you a scientist and a teacher and put those together. And that's that's the impetus for my PhD program as well. I'm an educator, I'm a scientist, and I'm putting those together as the superpower and into a degree so that I can help infiltrate young girls and women who are interested in science, but might not be given the opportunities or might not be encouraged. We've made a lot of progress in the history up to date, but not enough. There are not enough women or girls in science, or even in leadership roles in general. So this expedition is really, I feel like it's its my whole life story coming together in an expedition to Antarctica is, is practicing science, being a woman leader in science and in the world, and building that visibility and the opportunities for those who come with me and after me. Now I can really hear the passion in your voice and the excitement for this <laughs> expedition and uh, may I ask how many women are participating in this particular um, group? Yeah, so there's about 60 of us okay. on this expedition. Okay. And yeah. is it a month long? Yeah, so it is, it's technically 22 days at sea. Okay. Uh, I'll be gone for 26 days. So to get from here, I go to Argentina, mm -hmm. and that's where we get on the ship. We go to Antarctica, and then the journey back. Argentina, back to the United States. It takes me about a day mm -hmm. or two to get from the United States to Argentina and onto the ship. So 26 total days, 22 on the ship without interaction outside mm -hmm. of the ship. So I, I won't be able to, you know, do a live feed. I would love to, but we, we've got important work that we need to get done. So we are kind of shutting ourselves off, um, bringing in all of this 
excellence in women's leadership and, and women in STEM and just seeing what we can come up with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you'll be stopping, like you said, at different stations. Yeah. Yeah. Ideally every day we'll make a landing. Okay. Uh, it depends greatly on weather, on sea ice, because we're going in the transition from spring to summer. So okay. those the the ice sheets are, they're starting to melt and they'll break apart a little bit so we can make landings. But there's, you know, there's the possibility that one day the sea ice is impenetrable, which is great, right? We don't want all the sea ice <laughs> melting. Like there, there is a natural amount that should melt and refreeze every year. Um, so, you know, if, if the sea ice is, is too thick one day, we're calling that a win because that means it did not, <laughs> it did not melt. It stayed frozen. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, <laughs> looking at that as a win. Yeah. Well, you know, I hope that um, we'll be able to read about that. Will um, there be a spot like a blog spot or on your website where people can um, access information? Will you be writing any articles? Where do you think um, like people can hear about this after it's taken place? Yes, to all of those things. Um, yeah, so I'll I will one hundred percent be blogging on my my blog is directly linked to my website, which is just expeditionschnexter.com. I'll it will one hundred percent be all over my Instagram page in reels, in posts, uh, in stories. So that that's always. Instagram is always a great place to find what I'm, what I'm talking about. And then I always cross, put if I put a blog post out, it's, it's linked in there and it'll send you straight to the blog. I'm hoping to hop on um, some podcasts. Of course, when I come back to talk about like, oh my gosh, I knew this was going to be amazing, but look how even more amazing it was than I could ever have imagined. So there, there will definitely be a lot of things out there. And by the time you're hearing this, you're probably going to see it right now. So just hop on over to social media and see, see what I've learned. Yeah. And there could be some um, other podcasts on the teach better podcast network who might be hosting you shortly after your return. So um, uh, when this is published, I'll be on the looking out for um, any of those uh, that you might be featured on. Well, it's been a great conversation uh, talking about your uh, passion for uh, science and just, um, helping young girls uh, get interested in science from an early age, along with um, your current work um, in the Maritime Discovery Center and um, your PhD prep work. Um, Out of everything we talked about, what's one good thing you'd like listeners to remember? Yeah, I would say the most important thing is to always remember to relentlessly follow your passions. If there's something you're interested in, you gotta just go for it. Doesn't matter what anyone has to say about it. Relentlessly pursue that passion. You never know where it's going to take you. Yeah, yeah. No, that's so important. And you have mentioned your website. If you could also mention your um, social media handle again, so people can connect with you. Yeah, it's my last name. It's just at Schnexer. S C H N E K S E R. Okay, great, great. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being on the Out of the Trenches podcast today. It was a pleasure speaking with you and hearing about your plans for the future and also your experience in the classroom. Yeah, thanks for having me. My book, Out of the Trenches, Stories of Resilient Educators, has now been published. You can access it through Amazon. You can buy it at the Road to Awesome website, or you can get it through my website at danagoodier.com. Please leave a review, and you can also access it on Kindle. Check out the show notes on danagoodier.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. 
Please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at Out of Trenches PC. Thank you.